0: You will be as God. Now, I'm actually putting a question mark at the end of that title so that I can say, you will be as God. It seems extraordinary. But right from the start, in the first chapter of Genesis, chapter 1, verse 26, Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our own likeness. Now, there are significant differences in those two words, the image and the likeness. The image, Selem in the Hebrew, means a representation, a resemblance. But after our own likeness, Mut, M-U-T in the Hebrew, means as us, which has more of a sense of the inner being, like us. And we will see how that unfolds as we go through. But this statement, you will be as God, is actually first spoken, you will be as God or like God, by Lucifer. It was spoken by Lucifer and God, but Lucifer speaks it out of the mouth of the serpent in the Garden of Eden. Genesis 3, and the serpent said, Death will not certainly come to you, for God sees that on the day that you take of its fruit, your eyes will be open and you will be as God, having knowledge of good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and a delight to the eyes and to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit. Now those tempting words, from the place of darkness, you will be as God provoked a hidden longing in the heart of humanity to be like God and the very same hidden longing to be as God had already been consummated within the heart of pride within Lucifer himself and it's now being passed on to humanity. That is Satan's greatest rival among created beings, us, because God wants that for us, that he wanted it for himself. And he picks this sly cunning way to get this stirred up in humanity, a shortcut, to take that being as God through disobedience, or through self. So now let's hear about Lucifer wanting that likeness. In fact he wanted the equality. Isaiah fourteen twelve says this, How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How you are cut down to the ground, mighty though you were against the nations of the world. For you said to yourself, I will ascend to heaven. I will exalt my throne and rule the angels. I will preside on the Mount of the North, the place of the heavenly council. I will climb to the highest heavens. I will be as the most high. But instead you will be brought down to the pit of hell, down to its lowest depth. Those five I wills of Lucifer were actually the statement of my will be done. And those five I wills have been counteracted and overcome by the five wounds on the cross of Jesus, his hands and his feet and his side, where he said to the Father, not my will, but your will be done. That's the difference. But this aspiration to be like God is something that is pursued by people who walk in great darkness, as well as those who walk in great light. As we see, it was said first there by the serpent, being as God is connected to possessing the knowledge of good and evil, whereby each person redefines the meaning of good and bad as being what is good for them, no matter what it is for anybody else, or bad. For them personally. However, being as God is more deeply embedded in the human soul, the human psyche, as we might think. It's been planted there. And God even corroborates the serpent's words to Eve in some respects when he drives man out of the garden. And we see in Genesis 3, verse 22, then the Lord God said, Behold, The man has become like us, become like one of us in knowing good and evil. He's echoing what the serpent said. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever, then there's a a silence. That word lest in a sentence often allows the sentence to just hang in the air. Unfinished now, lest he reach out his hand and also take of the tree of life and eat forever. Yes, and and what and why and when? Please explain. There's a please explain there somewhere But before the verse even allows time for discussion, it describes God going into action. It goes on. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden. God bans humanity from having access to the way of the tree of life. So there is something there that uh, is unspoken. And it's a question that we are to ask. This word, lest, that happens, I I see it very clearly in another scripture that leaves a, a question. In Isaiah 6, verse 9, spoken by Isaiah, um, there's also this, this scripture that I'm going to read it was spoken by Jesus in Mark and in Acts 28 by Paul. It's an intriguing scripture that uses the word lest in such a way that you, you have to ask a question. Let me read it to you. You'll, you'll know what I mean. Isaiah 6, 9 is talking about Isaiah preaching and saying to Isaiah what the effect will be of his preaching when he proclaims it. And he says... When you preach to them, tell them they will keep on hearing but not understand. They'll keep on seeing but not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn, it means regret, and be healed. Please explain <laughs> What's the question? It begs a question. Now, there is a correct question. And the strange thing is, Isaiah asks it in verse 11. And the correct question is, for how long, Lord? How long does this go on? We read in verse 11, and God gives him a sobering answer. Then I said, how long, O Lord? And he said, until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people and the land is a desolate waste and the Lord removes people far away and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. That's pretty sobering. Now this answer in some ways strangely describes the days in which we live. And I looked at some of these little phrases The city's lying waste. I thought, yes, that's happening. The houses without people, and you can think, well, it can be ordinary houses in ordinary streets, but there's the house of the Lord without people. The land, a desolate waste, and the Lord removing people far away. Separation distance, the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. Well, I'm not actually preaching on that today, but you can see how... There are things that God says that cause us to ask a question. What is this about? What's going on? Well, back here in the Garden of Eden, we've got the unfinished lest. They reach out and take it and live forever. And then it goes on, Therefore the Lord, God, sent him out from the Garden to work the ground. He drove out the man at the east of the Garden and he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turn every way to guard the way to the tree of life, to guard the way to the tree of life. The word in Hebrew, sapor, which means to preserve and reserve the way. So the question is, reserve it till an appointed time. Well, when, oh Lord, it's a similar question, how long? God did not let Adam and Eve or any other human being have access to the tree of life until Jesus. And God guarded the way to it with angels and a flaming sword. I believe here God is letting us somehow touch the mystery of eternal life. Somehow get a taste of God speaking about eternal life here. He wasn't ready to give that at that time. God leaves history to unfold itself and then says, it's now, whatever it might be. So I'd like to talk about this unfolding of you shall be as God. Because I believe that's what God wants today for you and for me, for those who believe in what Jesus has done. There's the bad in this you shall be as God. There's the good and then there's the in-between aspects. Of being as God, of being like God, same thing. Now it's seen in its darkest, sinister form in many narcissistic egomaniacs and their consuming passion of having control over everything in their world, which is impossible. But there have been people throughout history and in the Bible that have believed that they were as good as God, that they could do it. And they've strived for that with whatever devious power they could lay their hands on. You see, people like Pharaoh, he was as a god. People thought he was god. They said he was god. They made him god, proclaimed him as god, and he took that on board. And he defied God, stood against God, did supernatural works against God. When Moses came to bring the people of Israel out of Egypt. There was Alexander the Great, there was Caesar when Jesus was there, and when the people were preaching the gospel after Jesus died and risen from the dead and they're calling Jesus Lord, Caesar didn't like that because he was Lord as God, and that's why the Christians got persecuted. You can't put him up against our God, our Caesar. And there have been many others in ancient history regarded by the people and by themselves as God. And there's also the modern day practitioners of this like Hitler and Stalin. They acted as deluded saviour gods, convincing the people that they needed them to save their nation and its heritage and its honour and its status of dignity in the world. They gave that promise, and people said, yes, thank you. Now, the term for this kind of grandiosity, and there is a term for it, a Greek word, called apotheosis, from God. That's the actual taking the word apart. But it means to be elevated by pride to divine status. So that's there, in a very dark way. And it is powerful, and it's in the world today. Standing against God by people who believe they are God. Now, in its common or everyday form, like, <laughs> what about the rest of us? Being as God sits there, unnoticed and invisibly kind of nested within the individual sovereignty of, of every person under God. Well, that's the objective truth. God made everybody in His image. And people don't go around talking about that. The ordinary person in the street doesn't go around talking about the fact that I am God or I am like God. But people do carry that aspect of being made in the image of God. Not talking about the likeness yet, but the image of God. Even if they don't believe in God. All of humanity was created in God's image or resemblance or shadow. Now, that includes good people, responsible citizens with a good conscience that honour their social and political freedom and get up and do things. The right way. am not talking necessarily about Christians. Because... That is a God-given responsibility and status that God gives to every person on the planet. He said that to Adam. Look after the place. But it just so happens that nobody's going around thinking about it or saying it or discussing it. That's the hidden reality. It's been sown into humanity through a vast range of other expressions. So you've got your good citizen, responsible person, and then you've got a whole vast mass of people worldwide that fall into what I could call secular humanism, you know, secular humanism. Now, I'm not saying that people will call themselves secular humanists or put up a placard and say that's what I am, but secular humanism is a worldview um, of believing that you can be a moral, upright, responsible, good person. And God isn't necessary for that. And it's strongly proclaimed. Some people take this on very fervently and say, we don't need God here. In that sense, they've become as God. The hidden thing is all of a sudden coming out because they're replacing faith in God with a philosophical truth or reason as being the basis of morality and decision-making They reject religious doctrine or the supernatural. But in their community, they might retain Christian values but not worry about Christian faith. You see this happening. That's going on. And then there are the more energetic zealots of ideological activism, and they get some collective opinion, an ideology as to how everybody else should think and act on certain social issues, like social justice, financial equality or health, and they find their collective identity in these ideologies. This is me. And they judge and even penalise others for not agreeing with their virtue or morality. That is being as God. All right, now I'm starting to get out of this area of the middle ground. Now I want to get to the high, higher ground. Being as God in its highest and most noble form is more than just being created in God's image or resemblance. We're now talking about being made in his likeness or as him in our inner being. It involves having a heart to worship God, to trust in his divine love and goodness and to be transformed by the Holy Spirit into his likeness. Now this becomes a commitment of people who believe and trust the Holy Spirit to be doing that work. It also involves being willing to be discipled by God, our Father, who delights to grow us in faith and in love for him and for one another, no matter what race or culture or gender or personality or status. This is the highest ground of breaking through into an understanding of being made in His likeness, to be able to see other people as He sees other people, to be able to bless your enemies, pray for them. This is being as him in the world that scripture is in 1 John 4 17 we are as him in the world now this is not just a a representation there's something happening on the inside where he is there in 2 Peter 1 4 because of his glory and excellence he has given us great and precious promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape The corruption in the world caused by corrupt human desires. Now that's a breakthrough. There is a people being called out. It's not just a denomination or a church. It is the kingdom of God beginning to emerge. 1 Corinthians 3.18, it says, As the Spirit of the Lord works within us, we become more and more like him. So you see, we've got three aspects to this. We've got the, the the dark, sinister side. We've got the the in-between ground, which will take up a few billion people, and then we've got the high ground of being made into His very nature. And that was the reality of the life of Jesus. That's what He did. In Philippians two, verse seven, it says about Jesus, who though His essential being was fully as God. It was, as God. it was God. He did not use the grandeur of being equal with God something to be promoted. We should say, or marketed. You know, here I am. But he humbled himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and serving obediently to the point of dying on the cross for us. So, as his disciples, we're called not just to represent Jesus, but to embody his life. Where you are, he is. You're as him in the world. In other words, when Jesus died and rose from the dead, went to be with his Father, he sent the Holy Spirit to live within us according to our own unique and individual life. We won't all do it the same. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. Different giftings, different temperament, different hierarchy of things, not just values, but of particular, if you like, I look at the gifts of the Spirit as being, somebody's been given a gift, and they see a certain thing that's out of order that somebody else doesn't see. They're not looking for problems, but they say, well, I don't think God sees that being in order. And God's given them the gift to notice that and to get faith to do something about it. Whereas, if, if whatever it might be, if I haven't got the gift, i just stand around and look and say, hmm, that doesn't seem to be working properly. And then I see somebody moving in with an anointing and I think, wow, there's a gift of God. We're all different. All right, but we're, we're not the, I want to be my own God. That's how inflated, we've all got this Adam in us as well, which was tempted by you will be as God. That inflated egoic self is now constantly being invited to empty itself of pride and independence and self-importance and emotionally opinionated judgments. You'll get your emotionally opinionated judgments and you try and tell everybody how they've got to think. Start to listen. That tree of life can now live through us giving us his wisdom in things through faith and love. By faith, we dare to become what, without faith, we're afraid to be, and that is a vulnerable human being, limited in weakness, feeling helpless, struggling, worrying about why did that happen and what's going to happen in the future. Don't put yourself under condemnation for feeling that. That is in us. But we have to see that faith allows us to feel all of that and come confidently to God and say, thank you, Lord, you know all about this. So when I'm in this weakness, you are my strength. I can't pull myself up by my own bootstraps, but I can know that when I'm weak, then you're strong. You will give me a wisdom in this that I couldn't try and find in a book. Just talked about an ordinary book. So we become this, or we allow ourselves to become this vulnerable human being, but a real person with real meaning in our lives as God. That's the only way we can be as God. If we try to get up on a ladder and yell out, I am as God, take the ladder away. We've just got to start again. When you fall off the ladder, you can say, Oh, thank you, Lord. And you're starting to be as God because you're inviting him in. But we're afraid to do that. We must not be afraid to do that. We have a saviour, a leader, a commander in Jesus. If we always come to Jesus in this way and abide in him in utter faith, as vulnerable, ordinary people, we will always find his strength and know his power and love. In fact, that's where his power comes through. The promotion, the marketing that you see so much in Christianity tries to make, put power on the stage of it. It just puts people's personalities or some kind of... It's putting trust in the flesh this is something that god is calling us into in our discipleship is to find him in our weakness knowing will always find his strength and know his power and love we need to be still and know that he is god we draw aside from all other thoughts and we focus on the one great thought of god towards us through the power of his holy spirit He is changing us into his likeness and that this is an ever present reality of faith discipleship means discipline we become slaves to our own impatience and time and the flurry of things that will invade our minds to distract our attention when god is saying there is one thought that i want you to know is going on and it's my thought towards you come over here there's a scripture in matthew chapter 6 it says when you pray he said don't pray like the people that pray out in public he said when you pray you go into your room and i believe he's talking about going into the inner room in the heart and close the door behind you and speak to your father in secret and he will reward you openly what do you mean reward you openly he will let you see the result of that time with him He, he will show you look what look what i've now made happen you can see it now openly oh lord I just came in to be with you and to, to absorb you, to, to think of you thinking of me. And I could only do it for 10 seconds. He said, 10 seconds is great. I was better than yesterday. Yesterday was half a second. <laughs> or I was in, in, in a kind of a crowd of thoughts that you were thinking about. Now, I want your time. I want this. And you go there. You think of nothing else but the fact that the Holy Spirit is now transforming you to be like Jesus. I think I don't feel any different. No, not about feelings. It's about what is actually happening in the world of the unseen because that is what I do. It's not what you do. You can't do it. I can do it in you if you give me time. I encourage people, give it 10 seconds and then stretch that and add another 10 seconds of that and so on. And the days will start to become totally different because you revisit that 10 seconds or that 20 or that 2 minutes you re- you you recollect that and it begins to touch you again you become conscious of the fact that you are being made to be as God now being like God should be front and center of our minds and being it should be It doesn't mean everything else gets left out, but I'm talking about what comes first. It's our destiny. It's the ultimate goal of God for us that gives meaning to our existence. No matter what the circumstances are or what the status is in our lives, you will be as God. In Jesus' name, amen.